Hey guys, welcome to the Landlord Real Estate Investing Show. This is a new show that the discount property investors, Mike Slane and David Dodge, are putting out there. Uh, we are very excited to share with you all of our Burr success and failure stories uh, to help you guys learn how to Burr invest in real estate and do it the right way. Uh, again, this show is put out there by the Discount Property Investors, so you're going to see some of our content come from uh, our, our Discount Property Investors show. But we're going to put out some exclusive content here on the Landlord Show for you guys, specific to the Burr Method and landlords in particular, how landlords invest, how we see the world a little bit differently and that is the premise of this show. So this is just the introductory episode. Wanted to get something out there and let you guys know what we are about, what we are going to do, and what we are focusing on. I, Mike Slane, love the Burr Method. It is the coolest way uh, to buy assets that cash flow for you. Uh, one of the things that I like about it is anybody starting out can build a rental portfolio. You don't have to wait and save and save and save before you buy a property. You learn about real estate investing by doing, and you can do this by using other people's money. These are the things I've always heard about and never really fully understood until I started applying the Burr method in our business and started acquiring rental properties without using my own money, without saving up. This is such a powerful way to acquire property. So what is the Burr Method? Real quickly, guys, you know, hopefully what it's about. It's about buying. Uh, how do I buy with nobody else's without using my money? We use private lenders or hard money lenders. Then we rehab the property. So we're going to create value. We're going to add value to a property by rehabbing it. Uh, next, we're going to rent it out. So we're going to get someone else to pay for that property for me, guys. They're going to be paying that hard money lender. They're going to be paying that uh, private lender in the short term because the next step is refinance. And what I'm going to do here is I'm going to find a bank to refinance me out of that more expensive short-term loan, give me a long-term loan with a more favorable interest rate. It's going to help me increase my cash flow and hold that property for the long term. Next step, guys, I'm going to repeat. So again, I'm able to utilize someone else's money to acquire an asset, a cash flowing asset, fix it up, then refinance it. Now I've got a rental portfolio in our, our rental property in our portfolio for virtually no money, hopefully no money out of pocket. That is what we're all about. That's what we're going to be talking about. Thank you guys so much for joining us on this podcast. Look forward to bringing you guys more. Welcome back to the Discount Property Investor Podcast. Our mission is to share what we have learned from our experience and the experience of others to help you make more money investing like a pro. We want to teach you how to create wealth by investing in real estate the discount property investor way. To jumpstart your real estate investing career, visit freewholesalecourse.com, the most complete free course on wholesaling real estate ever. Thanks for tuning in. All right, guys, welcome back. Today, Mike and I are going to be talking about the advantages of owning real estate. Man, right now, there are a lot of advantages. 
There so are, especially with the government printing two trillion dollars in stimulus. You read my mind, Dave. Damn. I mean, there's mind. really no better hedge Dude. against inflation than the scarcity of real estate. I mean, I say that because it's very scarce. They're not. Yeah. We're not making any more of it. Some people will argue, "Oh, they're doing that over in uh, Dubai." Well, that's fine, but the cost to create it is way more than to buy existing. And so that's a bull. That is a bullshit yeah. excuse. Land is land, guys. They're not making any more of it. Yeah, they want to. Yeah, you want to dump a bunch of dirt into the ocean, the ocean and, and raise the and raise yeah, it up. That's fine, there. but you're going to spend a billion dollars doing that. So good luck to you and that dumbass argument. So moving on, <laughs> they're not making any more Wait, land. How do you really feel about that's it? That's how I really feel yeah. about it. It's now, the again, stupidest thing I've ever heard. Well, they are cool though. Those islands that they build make like little palm tree shapes. Yeah, they're, they're freaking. They're cool. really neat, man. But that's not no, that's, that's not, not happening a, in Missouri. Yeah. Right. Anywhere, where, where we're investing? Anywhere in the U.S.? I don't think so. No. Yeah, no I'm way. not seeing it. So, advantages of real estate. I love that you brought up the <laughs> How government. How do you really feel? <laughs> I, love, I love that you brought up the government printing money because that is a huge thing on my mind, and I know a lot of other people's minds right now. I just now. bought some Bitcoin mining machines this morning, man. Yeah, we go, we're going full crazy, man. Yeah. We're buying gold. We're buying silver. <laughs> That's right. Stocking up on ammo. You know. That's right. Yeah. And, of course, always real estate, And, guys. of course, real estate. Never so stop no. that. And that's just it. So real estate is comprised of a bunch of different materials, right? You've got the lumber, you've got the concrete, you've got the land itself, you've got the uh, the roof uh, asphalt shingles, you've got uh, the copper wiring, the pipes, the all this stuff. So all of those things as the value or – well, let's not, let's not talk about value. Let's talk about the price of those goes up. What happens to a piece of property? Well – the cost to build that piece of property goes up as well. Man, lumber. Speaking of cost, man, lumber is way up right now. Like almost 200 and plus percent. Let's Maybe talk even about, 300%. Let's talk about that, man. So it used to be about $10 to put a 4 by 8 sheet of plywood. It would be about what you'd pay. About 10 bucks for a 4 by 8 sheet of plywood to be delivered to your roof via some of our contractors. I think they charged me like $25 last time. Hey, look at this. I'm actually pulling so up like, a NASDAQ uh, market activity commodities report for lumber. And this is a one-year chart. So you guys aren't going to be able to see this. But pull, it up, pull up five. Oh, you want to do a five-year yeah, chart? Okay, but like. we'll explain what we're looking at here. So yeah, basically dude, five at, years Jesus. ago, the uh, this is probably – is this a futures thing? I think this might be futures when Doesn't it comes matter. to commodities. But either way. 100%? Well, it's uh, – there's a number here. So basically, if we were to go back five years, you're looking at two, 236. I, I would assume that's per contract, right? $236 per contract. No idea what you're at. And uh, just, just recently, we hit an all time high, it looks like, of 818. So 2468. That's a 400% increase over five years. And that's my point. Yeah. So if you don't believe that inflation is happening or is real because the CPI or consumer price index doesn't reflect it. It's because the basket of goods in that consumer price index Ooh. is artificially kept lower. That's right. Because the government decides, not the government necessarily, but whoever is determining uh, what is in that basket of goods gets to kind of manipulate the numbers. The government also incentivizes and decreases the price they uh, through different taxes, tariffs, and uh, other programs. They can keep the price of certain goods lower. And they can have the price of other goods go up through tariffs and things like that. So there's a lot of manipulation in those things. But the cost of 
uh, air conditionings. Dave, it has gone through the roof. The air, air conditioners. It? We've replaced so many ACs. Yeah, no, we do. God, I don't keep man. track of these. It's like four grand. I can't even get it. What was it? What was it like two years ago? Like twenty five hundred. Twenty seven. Twenty eight. Like you could get a cheap one. So that's only cheap. that's up twenty five percent too. Again, I know that that again people wow. take advantage. So hey, prices are up. I'm going to add a little more to my my service my labor cost, but they should. Yeah. Yeah. If they're uh, long story short, going off on a team. <laughs> there's definitely a lot happening in. Um, in finance right now, yeah. in 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 the stimulus packages, and like Dave said, $2 trillion worth of money being printed. Uh, they've created it. So, Dave, you were mentioning to me you were reading a book called... Uh, it's a brand new one. No, not, not brand, brand new, but it's uh, it's Robert Kiyosaki's book, and it's called uh, Fake. I just started reading it yesterday, and it's... Uh, so, I don't really know a whole lot about it because I'm not that far into it. I'm maybe, you know, 10% into the book at this point. Uh, but the summary of it um, is a personal finance book. Um, and it's you know basically trying to simplify a complex and often confusing uh, subject of money as well as investing. And you know Robert Kiyosaki he challenges challenges conventional wisdom, um, and he asks the questions that will you know help readers sit through today's information overload, sift through the information overload. Uh, you know, to to understand the how money works, and he calls the, the the title of the book is actually fake, and the subtitle is fake money, fake teachers, fake assets. So again, I don't want to get off on too much of a tangent here, but uh, it's it aligns all you know very well with uh, what we're talking about. Here. Right. So it's basically it talks about how the dollar is a fiat currency. So we went off the gold standard a while ago, and now and this is relatively new, guys. April of nineteen. And so just talking about less Robert, than, less Robert, than a year ago, Robert Kiyosaki's or book no. fake. Wait, what year? We're Originally in published. Aren't we? Yeah, it's a year. About a year, give or take. Yeah, that's great. So again, that's Robert's book, uh, fake. Uh, it's pretty interesting on the topic as well. Uh, so we were talking about the advantages of real estate, and we went down this tangent on the fact that uh, inflation is happening or the value of dollars decline, and this is something that happens. We can kind of tame it down a little bit. Uh, we know this happens. Uh, it, it happens slowly, and sometimes it happens more rapidly. Uh, so it it's a it's an ongoing thing that you're going to deal with. And real estate has been a proven asset class that hedges you against inflation. Um, Would you is that referred to as elastic or not? Is that what they call that? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. think it's elastic. I mean, meaning that you can't really make more of it, right? So either way. Again, man, I, I got a minor in economics, and <laughs> my brain just, I don't remember. That's right. I don't remember the, yeah. That's right. Well, either way, inflation is a big deal, guys, and it is happening more we, now, or, or I should say this. We we are about to see more inflation than we ever have, at least in my lifetime, and I'm mid-30s, uh, because we've never in my lifetime printed this much money. And it's one thing I do want to make a note of is whenever I say printing money, that doesn't mean it's actually coming off of like a printing press. Um, it really just means that it's being created, right? So like if the government, you know, creates a $1.9 trillion stimulus package, you know, yeah, they may print a, a few billion dollars to, to actually, you know, get it out into the masses, but the majority of it is just created in a computer, you know, 90, I think it's 98% of oh, it's all the crazy. money is, is just in a digital ledger, right? Um, so either way, you know, we're making more money. That's where the inflation comes in. So let's talk about some of the other advantages 
of owning real estate. I can't. I love this one. <laughs> You're stuck on this inflation. I'm stuck on inflation, man. I'm right. stuck on inflation. No. So another one, and this is huge, and we're not experts on it, so we get uh, CPAs to help us. Uh, but that would be, oh, I'm, you're, you're going a different direction. I well, was going to say the tax advantages, man. Yeah, absolutely. So, so you know, there, well, there's a couple ways that that works. Right there, yeah, yeah, a couple ways that that works. So you get depreciation, which is basically the way I like to look at it is it's a phantom. Um, expense. it's a phantom expense, mm-hmm. meaning it's something that you're able to, to, you know, basically, uh, offset your income with, um, that's what you typically do with expenses whenever you're in its tax times. Mm-hmm. But depreciation allows you to have a, an expense that you didn't actually have to incur. And the way that it works with single families is you get uh, 27 and a half years to uh, depreciate a property. So basically take um, you know the, the, the total value of a property. Let's say a property is worth 100000 and you divide that by 27.5. That means that every year you're going to get about 3600 and change. Um, of phantom expenses. Now, the downside to the depreciation is it does affect your cost basis. Now, I don't want to get too deep into accounting, but basically profits are determined when you sell a property and taxes are owed. All right. They're also going to be owed on the cash flow every year. But when you go to sell that property down the road, you are going to have to pay taxes on any gain. Okay. If you bought a $100,000 house for $100,000 and you paid full retail for it, your cost basis is going to basically be $100, right? That's what you paid for it. But every year, whenever you, you add this phantom appreciation, right? This, or I should say this phantom expense, which is depreciation. I really screwed that up, didn't I? Uh, when you add that in, it's going to reduce your cost basis by the amount of that expense, Right. So after a couple years, your cost basis is no longer a hundred. It may be, you know, ninety-four or ninety-five thousand, right? After a couple years. Well, after let's say ten years, you may have a cost basis of seventy thousand. And if you go sell that property for a hundred, even though you are selling it for the exact price you bought it, taxes are due because that depreciation catches up to you. And that's what we like to call uh, uh, cost basis and the depreciation of directly affects the cost basis. Now, rich people write the laws, guys, and the rich people have made a loophole for this. And they basically said, well, if you sell a property, there should be this way to exchange that property for another property or a like-kind asset. And that's referred to as a 1031 exchange. And a 1031 exchange will allow you to kick that can of dealing with the cost basis down the road. So another advantage, Mike, that we can add in here is 1031 exchanges. Mm-hmm. And the 1031 exchange, you know, it really affects, um, you know, the, the main reason that a 1031 is valuable is A, it's to prevent paying taxes, but B, it allows you to use compound interest essentially in the real estate game because you're not, because you're being able to control assets that are larger than your than your current supply of money, right? Because you're not having to pay taxes on it when you exchange. So definitely a cool little thing. And again, I don't want to get too too deep into the weeds on that, right? So depreciation is is real. And it, and it and you can actually um depending- and it's awesome. It's awesome while you're doing your taxes year in and year out. I just sold a property and it is great. Cause it's like, oh yeah, this is cool. I'm not paying as much taxes because I'm I'm got these expenses. 
Man, when you go to sell it, if you don't do a 1031 exchange, it sucks. Yeah, so I just sold one of mine. It sucks. <laughs> the One of the first houses I bought, I think it was the second house I ever bought. Mm -hmm. And um, basic math, guys. I think I paid about 130 grand for it. I owned it for like 13 or 14 years, and I sold it for about 180 grand. So it was about a $50,000 difference from what I bought it and what I from what I bought it and what I sold it for. However, uh, the property got paid down by the tenants that were living there and I depreciated it, all right? So what ended up happening is, is you would think like, you know, in a, in a simple world, like you buy for 150 or 130, you sell for 180, that's a $50,000 amount of money that you made. Well, and, 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 you know, the way that this really worked out, I owned it for, you know, 13, 14 years. I actually got a deposit of closer to $90,000 when I sold the property. And because I had paid that property down a ton, however, all ninety thousand of that—that's um, not even the number that matters. That's not even the number that matters. The number yeah. that matters is the difference of the cost basis, which was decreased from one thirty to let's say a hundred, and then I sold that property for one eighty. So now I owe taxes on eighty thousand, not fifty. And you would think again, you bought it for one thirty, you sold for one eighty. That's fifty, but every year I depreciated that property reducing the cost basis. So I actually had to pay taxes on about so 80 of it. So that's fun. That's the nuts and bolts of depreciation. Uh, that's why a lot of people do 1031 exchanges. You have to be exchanging it, though. And, man, they got complicated. Well, just use, a, just use a lawyer or a title company. And that's exactly They can our, facilitate the whole thing. That's what our accountant just told us. She said, I used to do They're it. They're actually really easy if you let them do the, do, the, do it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what she said. Yeah. She said... It's, it's a really complicated. They got complicated, so I'm out. Yeah. I refer Go to, to your title person. company and say, here's what I'm selling. Here's what I'd like to buy. Give them all the information. They're going to handle it for you. They, that's typically what they do. It's how they get paid, so right? that's depreciation 1031. That's depreciation. So there's a flip side of that, though. Appreciation. And let's go, let's use your example, Dave, that you just said. Okay. So Dave bought this house for $150,000. 130. Or I'm sorry, $130,000. Mm-hmm. But he was able to sell it for 180000 13, 13 years later. What happened? He sold it for 180000 It was $50,000 higher. So That's appreciation. It has a little bit to do with inflation too, though, right? Like mm -hmm. the, the amount of dollars that you're – or the amount of, amount of goods that a dollar can buy uh, decreases. So you need more dollars to buy the same amount of goods over time. And I think we're going to be really getting into a time frame here, Mike. And it may not be this year or next, but I don't see how it's – humanly possible that within the next five years that we don't go into a double digit inflationary period. Yeah, it's I, just, I, just, I just don't know how it's going to, how the government can prevent that. I mean, maybe not high double digits, but like, I just don't see how it could stay in the single digits. I, I think really that's don't. best case. I think that's best case. Yeah. yeah. No, I think we'll, I think we will see some significant inflation and I'd say three to five years. Yeah, it's going to definitely be delayed, but not 10 years. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be closer to three to five for sure. Everything in economics takes a couple years to uh, to uh, manifest itself. And that's why uh, each party gets to blame the other one for whoever was in power three years ago. And they say, but this guy's doing this. And, yeah. yeah. It's so just a mess. Th the definition of appreciation is really just the value of an asset or really just the value of anything going up. Yeah, the increase with in time. Yeah, it's an increase in value with time. Now, depreciation isn't the flip side. That's where it's confusing. It doesn't mean that the property is actually decreasing in value. It's a phantom expense. So depreciation is more of a tax language term, whereas appreciation is referred more to the value of an actual good. Yeah, well, but it it, it, it is the flip side though, Dave. So appreciation, you're talking about one hundred fifty thousand or one hundred thirty thousand dollar house becomes worth one hundred thirty five the next year. 
in the appreciation model. Yeah, in according the to the tax, the tax, the yes, it does. Model, model, yes, your 150 becomes 145. Right. So you're depreciating your cost, cost basis, basis, and your actual value is appreciating. So again, it's very yeah, it's it's complicated. They are reverses. They're not exactly the the same. Yeah, they're just on different playing fields. Mm-hmm. One's on a tax playing field. The other is on a, a, a an appraisal valuation playing. And it's field. all made up. <laughs> kind of, sort of. It's kinda all made sorta. up. Sorry. Just like uh, whose line is it anyways? And the numbers don't matter. Right. So, uh, all right, cool. So, guys, inflation. We talked a lot about that. This is this is, this episode is all about the advantages of owning real estate. So, inflation, I think, is is really a uh, a big deal because it is a it is a hedge. So, an advantage of owning real estate is a hedge, right, uh, against inflation. Right. We talked about that. We talked about depreciation and how it's an infantum expense and how you can avoid it with 1031s. We talked a little bit about appreciation, which basically just means that over time it is going to be it's going to cost more money to buy it, right? The value of that asset is going to increase. Now, before we move on to let's say cash flow and a couple other advantages, right? Let's talk a little bit more about um, appreciation. Not everything appreciates. In fact, most things in life depreciate. Mm-hmm. Cars are not assets, they are liabilities, unless there is those people out there that are going to have that argument of, well, what if I buy, you know, a, a you know, a, a, an old car that's that has yeah, value or, or something car, like, like that, a Ferrari right? Or a Lamborghini. Don't disagree, right? Don't disagree. But typically, there's there is this is a fun fact. There's 900 million cars on the road today, so I'd I'd be be willing to say that you know. 899 million of those cars are depreciating. <laughs> you may have a million out there that are that are collectors items, right? But the rest of these are depreciating, right? Clothes, depreciating assets. Wives. Depreciating. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> uh, but most things that you buy are going to be worth less. Like like think about it. If you were to buy something and and you have the option of buying a brand new item versus a used item and they're the same cost, You'd always pick the new item, right? Whenever something's lightly used or it shows worn or it, you know, whatever, it's going to be worth less. Well, everything, this microphone that we paid ev- $300 for. Yeah, you could sell that right now for probably about 100 bucks, right? Best case. Best case. But the thing about real estate is it doesn't always depreciate. It doesn't always depreciate either. But as inflation kicks in, it forces the appreciation, so again, it is the best hedge against inflation that I am aware of. Some people might argue that it's gold or that it's silver, but the thing is, is about gold and silver is you can mine more of it. Real estate, unless you're in Dubai, you can't really make more of it. So yeah, and I mean, there's counter. I mean, you can build more houses and yada yada, but it's all the assets that comprise that piece of property. They're all going up in price. So yeah, it's going to cost more to even build more of them. Love it. So. Yeah, it's it's a uh, yeah, it's interesting. There it is, Let's folks. Talk about cash flow, there it is, man. cash flow. Cash this flow. is probably the most and this fun. Is, this is the simplest one, and I think the main reason why people are like, "Oh, I want to own rental properties. I want some cash flow, right? I want to I want to generate income." Like that's the easiest one to understand. That's what. Um, yeah, I mean that's that. I think that's what gets people excited about real estate when they first get into it. So, Mike, I think the easiest money. way to define cash flow is mm-hmm. what is left over. After all the expenses are paid. And when I say all, I mean all. Because sometimes you may not have a monthly bill for insurance or taxes. Right? So cash flow is really the I think the easiest way to calculate it is on an annual 
basis. You also have to factor in uh, vacancies into your property. So without getting too much in the weeds, guys, cash flow, all right? You make cash flow on properties that are income producing, period. If a property doesn't have any income, there is no cash flow. It doesn't work that way. You have to have properties bringing in dollars and cents in the form of rent payments or leases, or uh, it could be something you know outside of that even, like easements or whatever else, agreements. But it essentially has to be bringing in income. And if it is bringing in income, if the income is higher than all the expenses, what's left over is called cash flow. So you could rent a building out uh, to, you know, just a, like, a, like, let's say it's a single family home. Well, you could rent it out and you'd have tenants live in there and they're going to pay you rent. You could also rent out raw land to a farmer, right? And he's going to pay you to be able to farm his crops there. You could also have a commercial building or a strip mall or even a big office building. And again, you are renting, you're trading the time in that space for money. And that's rent. So that's bringing in income. Well, all of these things, commercial buildings, land, um, single family homes are going to have expenses. Some are going to have more than others, but you're going to have taxes that are going to be due on the land. You're going to have taxes that's going to be due on the improvements to the land. You are going to have to have insurance, especially if you have a loan. If you have it free and clear and paid off, then you may not need it or want it. But if you have a building on it and there's debt due, any lender is going to require you to have insurance. I'd probably get insurance either way. Either way. I, I don't yeah. disagree. I'm just, just speaking in black and white here. Um, next, you're going to have utilities. Now, again, if it's a farmland, you're not going to have that per se, but you still may have to have additional insurance for your crops, right? But if you have a building that's a residential house or a commercial you know, building or a strip mall or something like that, you're going to have utilities. You are going to have maintenance, and then you are going to have a vacancy, which basically is an opportunity cost. A vacancy just means that it's empty and that it is not bringing in money. So again, you want to factor all these things in. So you know, cash flow can be looked at daily, weekly, monthly, annually. I like to look at cash flow in terms of annual expenses. And the reason is, is because you may not be paying your uh, insurance company or your taxes weekly or monthly. They typically come out at the end of the year, right? Um, so cash flow can be skewed if you're not calculating in every expense. So it's very important that you understand that cash flow is what's left over after all expenses are paid. Well said, man. Well said. And I, I tend to agree. I think it's easier to calculate it over a, a year period. And that's how we like to figure it. But then I like to look at it. Oh, yeah. I want to see, am I making 50 a bucks a month or am I making 650 a month? Yeah. Absolutely. To me, that's just... Yeah, but the know. problem with that, though, is is if you need a new HVAC, like Mike mentioned earlier, and it's four grand, well, that's going to eat up, uh, assuming you have a property that cash flows four hundred a month, ten months of cash flow. So yes, you definitely want to know your monthly numbers, um, but at the end of the year is really going to be kind of you know the truth. What was the actual cash flow? Because it's one of these things where you can never know in real time. Yeah, well, and it's it, always something that's going to be trailing. What was the last year's cash flow? Right, and that and that's a fixed number. You can't change it once once times passed. Right, that's a great point. And I think that that uh, that example, the air conditioner, that's something that happens. I mean, we replaced a ton of air conditioners, roofs. So your trees falling down, your cash flow, all types of stuff on the monthly 
monthly, even on a per property basis, is pretty hard to determine it's, on a single family is. house. Yeah, but you can uh, estimate it really, really easily. So what we do is, yeah, we'll use a 10% vacancy. So basically take your entire cash flow, then take 10% off for vacancy. Because again, that's maybe one month vacant, right? Yeah, it's, it's uh, only one month. That's right. Take 10% for uh, your capital expenditures. Does that be something like in an HVAC? Roofs, trees Roof, falling down, exactly. sewer lines getting clogged. Yeah, so those are other big things. ticket then, items, basically. Then general maintenance, another five to ten. Yeah, I'd say maybe yeah, just yeah, ten percent, total ten percent, right? So there's about thirty percent right off the bat for things that you that most people aren't really factoring in uh, when they look at their rental income versus great, their mortgage payment. Great point, Mike. Great point. So again, if you have a, a rental payment of a thousand and a mortgage payment of seven hundred, your cash flow is not three hundred. No, no, not at all. Now, if your if your seven hundred factors in your insurance and taxes, that's great. And capex, and vacancy, well, and maintenance, but it doesn't though. Yeah, yeah. Right. So that's why a lot of people end up being very, very uh, cash poor, despite having a bunch of assets, because they're not actually cash flowing over a period of time. It it looks like it. They think, oh, I should be making three hundred dollars a month on these six properties I own. When in reality, every month there's an AC or a roof that needs replacing or a, a vacant property that they have to pay the mortgage on and they're not collecting rent and the, you know, all yada, yada, yada. So it's very, very important that you uh, do not, um, Dave, you're typing the words I'm trying to say, <laughs> that's right. you do not over uh, leverage yourself, meaning you don't want to take out a loan that's too high, driving your cash flow down. You have to make sure that you still cash flow on your properties. That's the only reason to buy a rental property is to create cash flow. That is the, I'm sorry, not the only reason. That is the number one reason to buy it. Uh, yeah, I mean, again, that, that to me, everything else is icing on the cake. The cash flow is number one. The depreciation is icing. The appreciation is icing. The tax advantages are icing on the cake. To me, cash flow is the only thing that, I mean, it really, really, really matters. Like yeah. You have to have to think about that. I can't, I don't know, I can't say it any differently. No, absolutely. So, guys, a couple more advantages of owning real estate um, is that your cash flow is taxed as passive income. So, if you don't understand what this is, let me just try to explain this to you very, very, very simply, right? So, according to the IRS, um, there are a few types of income, okay? And these income, types of income tax. Let's actually pull this up here. It looks like there's three basic types of income. Okay. And the differences are how you earn it. So the first type of income is taxes on what you earn, right? This is basically what you're doing when you trade time for money. Okay. The next type of taxes are going to be taxes that are going to be um, based upon how you earn it. So if you are earning money from your money making you money or your real estate making you money, that's actually defined as passive income. And then the other type of income, and there's probably a couple more here, but the other type of income would be income that's gained, that is earned um, from like, you know, capital gains and or uh, dividends for the most part. But the cool part about real estate is that income is defined as passive income. And again, laws are written by rich people to protect rich people. Guys, if you have not heard me say that before, um, I'm going to be really surprised because I preach this all the time. 
You know, people that work at Taco Bell or McDonald's don't typically end up in the Senate or the House of Representatives, you know, on uh, committees voting on bills. What ends up happening is rich people decide that they want to up their game and they run for public office and they have to spend a lot of money to get all those votes. So it's very rare that somebody that is in office, you know, doesn't come from some sort of means or they're just very, very resourceful. So rich people, they tend to make a lot of their money not working for it. They, they let their, their relationships make them money. They let their assets make them money. And more importantly, they let their money make them money. Well, people aren't going to, rich people aren't going to shoot themselves in the foot. So what are they going to do? They're going to make laws that say, well, if you work for your money, you should pay the most amount of taxes on it. And if you're like me, the rich guy, and you make, you know, 70, 80, 90% of your money from your money making you money, then we should be taxed less. I don't necessarily agree with the way that this is designed and the way that it's carried out, but I am I, I acknowledge it and I'm going to play the game the way the game's going to be played. Don't hate the player. Don't hate the player, right? Hate the, hate the game. That's, That's right. a great point, Mike. Right. So with that being said, there is a massive advantage of making money or cash flow from real estate because you are actually taxed in a whole different bucket than all of your earned income, right? So it's funny because every day when I wake up, and I think Mike has the same mindset, but our, our goal isn't really to make more money because that means that we are going to have to pay more taxes. Instead, we've changed our entire mindset to say, how do we control more assets? It's a whole different ball game than saying, how do you make more money? Because here's the cool thing about controlling assets. You build wealth and wealth isn't taxed, my friends. Income is. Whoa, wait, say that again. Wealth isn't taxed, my friends. Income is. That's yeah, crazy. So if it's you really could spend crazy. all year working on building three, four, five, maybe even you know 500,000, maybe even a million dollars worth of wealth, and you didn't sell anything, you wouldn't actually have any taxes due. But if you spent your whole year trying to increase your salary from 50 grand to 200, 300, 400,000, you are going to five, six, seven X the amount of taxes you're going to pay too. So really the goal isn't to make more money, it's to control more assets, therefore creating more wealth because wealth isn't taxed. So passive income is a tax classification and you get that via real estate investing, right? And there's really one more thing that I'd want to touch on with the advantages of owning real estate. And here's the thing, guys, there's probably a hundred advantages. These are just the top, you know, five, six, seven that Mike and I like. And the last is leverage. It's that simple, right? You can go open up a stock account with a thousand bucks and the brokerage is going to say, hey, we're going to give you money on margin. And they're going to essentially let you borrow anywhere from, uh, what's what I say, $1,000 deposited. They're essentially going to say you can go buy stock worth uh, 15 maybe even as much as $1,800. So they're actually going to give you money to play with, and they're going to charge an interest rate on that, right? But they're not going to be able, they're not going to give you a 500% increase. Well, with real estate, they will. You can go buy a $100,000 piece of property with only $20,000 and get a loan for 80. That's five times your money basically on the loan. 
we talked a little bit earlier in the last episode about using a virt- VA loans or even FHA loans, and that increases the leverage even more. Think about if you only have to put down 3 to 5% to buy an asset and you can get a loan for the difference. Whereas if you want to go buy gold bullion, good luck. You're going to have to have 100 cents on the dollar, most likely, to buy it. Same with the stocks, right? Tip, and most people that I know that invest in stocks, they don't even use margin. So if they only have $1,000 in their account to invest, that means they only have $1,000 worth of assets to buy. Well, with real estate, it is so incredibly easy to use leverage. In fact, bank, in fact, banks encourage you to use leverage. They say, hey, you want to go buy this quarter million dollar building? That's $250,000. Well, assuming that it's a standard loan, you only have to bring 20% to the table, which means if you have $50,000 saved up, you can go control an asset worth $250,000. So that alone is probably mixed with the cash flow, of course, is probably my favorite reason that I like real estate. And really, there's so many of these reasons. But if you are able to control assets by using other people's money, and I'm sure you've heard that term before, OPM, then it, not only is it going to help you increase your uh, your wealth at a much faster rate, but it's also going to allow you to buy and control assets that are that are kind of out of your price range, essentially, yeah. in terms of cash buying. What's really neat about it, though, is that they they all work together to help you build wealth. They do. So and that's so, a beautiful thing. So cool. So again, you David mentioned you're going to use fifty thousand dollars of your own money to buy that two hundred fifty thousand dollar building. Well, guess what? You're going to use that fifty thousand. The bank's going to give you the two hundred. The tenant in that building is going to pay the mortgage for you. So then you're you're done, and you're going to cash flow positive. That's right. What's even more powerful? Right. We talked about in the last episode Woo! is the Burr method. Love this. So you buy another one another year later. You buy another one a couple years later, or even a couple months later. Then refinance the other ones. You could pull all your money out. So that fifty thousand you had to put into it, if that thing appreciated, now it's worth three hundred thousand. Then you get an. 75% loan to value or 80% loan to value, you're going to pull out all your money. Yeah. So you can actually use leverage if you get good at it and you understand it. And you can actually use leverage to not even have any any of your own money in the deal, right? Now, you don't particularly own it when you have a mortgage. You control it, right? But that's really what matters, though. Do you need to own something? Not necessarily these days. It's all about having the control. So guys, lots of advantages of owning real estate, inflation, um, depreciation, appreciation, cash flow, leverage. And of course, all of these things help when it comes to tax advantages with real estate being passive income as well, guys. So tons of ways to... To have or tons of advantages of owning real estate, guys. Go, go ahead, please. I was just gonna say, check out the discountpropertyinvestor.com website. Uh, we relaunched our website. There's tons of information on there. We've got free courses in there, uh, free books we give away. All also, of our podcasts are hosted there too. All of our podcasts hosted there. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your support. Uh, again. We'll talk to you guys next time. Signing off. Thanks for listening to the Discount Property Investor Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, share, and subscribe to help us reach a wider audience. To jumpstart your real estate investing career, visit freewholesalecourse.com, the most complete
complete free course on wholesaling real estate ever. We would also appreciate it if you left us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Thank you in advance for your support. And remember, you make your money when you buy. You get paid when you sell. Now let's go build some wealth. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. And thank you for checking this podcast out produced entirely by Anchor.fm. Guys, if you're interested in creating your own podcast, Anchor is the easiest way to do it. And the cool part, it's free. Anchor has all the tools to help you create, record, and edit a podcast directly from your phone or computer. They even handle the distribution, putting it out to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other sites. What's really cool about Anchor, they even allow you to monetize your podcast. Again, for free, you can generate income from your podcast. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. I don't know about you, but the best way to get a motivated seller to sell you a property is to get them on the phone, right? You got to get them on the phone so you can get their email to send them an offer. You got to get them on the phone so you can get information about the property. Maybe even get them on the phone to set the appointments. You can go meet them if you're doing this locally. Regardless, you have to get them on the phone. So the only way to go about getting a motivated seller on the phone is to have them call you by doing various types of marketing or you can call them, right? So in order to call these motivated sellers or these people that you are essentially assuming have motivation when you're doing your cold calling or your cold texting is to first skip trace these individuals and get information on how to reach them, like phone numbers and email addresses. I personally use batch skip tracing it is the most affordable service that has the best quality data that I have found um, every single time I've tested it, which has been probably about a dozen. So I highly recommend BatchSkipTracing.com, guys, if you are interested in skip tracing. Use code DAVE, D-A-V-E, to get 20% off your skip tracing. It's a huge discount. 20% off, basically one in five skip traces is free with that code. Go check it out. It's where I do all of my skip tracing. And we're basically doing, you know, 10 plus deals every month consistently at this point, about five to six years in, in my wholesaling business. We probably use this service weekly at this point. So go check them out. Batch skip tracing. Use code Dave, D-A-V-E. That's going to save you 20% on your skip tracing.